Greetings, Jen here, talking about how alcohol is not all cracked up to be by society and how the grass is greener on the other side. I talk to folks who now have an alcohol-free lifestyle, how that came to be, and the benefits of that lifestyle. In this interview, I'm talking to Wendy, who began drinking at 14 along with her peers and then began binge drinking in her 30s, how she went alcohol-free, and how now in her 50s is in the best shape of her life. I started drinking when I was 14 in high school, and I think I graduated high school in 1988, and that's just what we did. You know, we drank. We would find people to buy alcohol for us and drink on the weekends, and it just was what we did, and I don't think, you know, I, I don't think I was any different than anybody else back then, but yeah. So 14 and then I joined the military and we definitely drank a lot in the military after high school. I mean, that's all we did was drink. But I don't think I knew I had a big problem with booze until in my mid thirties, I started noticing I was different than everybody else. Like I can remember leaving social events just so I could go home and drink the way I wanted to. I didn't want to get drunk at an event. And that's one of the things that was that if I look back on, I was pretty smart about it. I would plan it. I would go to the store. I'd buy enough alcohol to last me for days and cigarettes. I would smoke. I never smoked until I drank. And yeah. when I when I drank, I smoked. And I'd smoke a lot. So I would hole up for three or four days. I'd leave a social event. That's what would start my drinking. Go home. And maybe it was like a Friday night. Saturday, Sunday, and call in sick work on Monday and try to sober up for Tuesday. That's when I knew I was different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, normal people weren't doing that. And... But I, and I wasn't a social drinker. Like, I know I have friends, as we just talked about, a friend that I have in California. He likes to be social, drive, would drive drinking. I was more of an isolating drinker because I was, I was actually embarrassed about it. Huh. Cause it wasn't who I was in public. It's almost a real Jekyll and Hyde. Like if there was ever a person to write that about, it would have been me. You know, I was winning fitness competitions, working out. People saw me as this girl who had a great job, worked yeah. out. And then behind closed doors, I could be a complete binge drinking wacko. And, and smoke. I mean, like, huh? the, and nobody knew. No. No. Well, my family knew because they started seeing it. You can't contain that for, for, for so long. Right. Yeah. So like my mom and my sister knew and, um, but a lot of my friends know. In fact, when I finally got sober, I can remember several people saying, Oh, I don't think you had a problem yeah. <laughs> because they didn't see it. Yeah. And it was a problem. So in my forties, I started having early forties, uh, physical problems. I was diagnosed with a fatty liver from drinking. Wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my benders starting around 35, they evolved into nasty vendors. So we would talk two or three days in the beginning. And then I would go for six, seven, eight days straight to the point that when I would stop, I would have a physical withdrawal from it. Like I would shake and sweat and have, I guess it would be hallucinations at the time. And looking back, I thought they were nightmares, but they were very vivid, really nightmare things for two or three days after those vendors. And that went on until I was about 48. And then I quit completely September 23rd of 2018 and haven't had a sense. And you just did it like cold Turkey, right? And yeah. Yeah. But before that I had, I'd say from 44, when I was diagnosed with fatty liver to 48, 
I would go four or five months straight without drinking. And then I would fall off thinking I could have a glass of wine. And then I would do a seven, eight, nine day bender. And so from 44 to 48, I actually went into a medical detox once for three days. Um, But the final time, which started uh, September 23rd of 2018, I, I detoxed myself in a small beach house in Grover Beach, California with water and wine. I would put just enough wine in the water to keep my blood pressure down and to keep me from shaking. And it took about three days to wean myself out of that. And I went, I think I went through a bottle of wine a day. And on the third day I did the half a bottle and then I was done and I haven't drank since. So the, the final, actually that final bottle was on the 23rd. So that's my official sobriety day is what I claim. Yeah. So how did you research how to wean yourself off? Yes. Yes. So from 44 to 48, I had these four years of just really getting into trying to get sober. And and there was so many times I thought I had it licked, you know, I'd I'd go five or six months. And so those four years, I'd have these huge amounts of sobriety and then I'd fall off and the fall off was disastrous. It would be 10 days. I wouldn't even show up to work. You know, I, I would invent reasons not to be accountable for my job. Luckily I didn't have to show up at an office. I was a remote worker, but uh, it, yeah. It, yeah. So I could call in and I could make up stuff or I could just disappear and people really didn't think a whole lot of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Still working out and not during the benders, but yeah, I'd come off yeah. the benders and I would be so angry at myself yeah. and my, my personality was always zero to 180. So I'd come out of the bender, I'd take a day or two to detox, and then I'd hit the gym and eat right and just be a completely different human being. And during that time, those four years is when I did a lot of research about getting sober and alcohol withdrawal. And so I knew how dangerous alcohol withdrawal could be too. And and there were times, and this is no joke, outcomes out of some of those benders, I couldn't even hold an ink pen to sign my name. Oh, that's how bad the shaking would be. That's how physically dependent my body had become on alcohol. Yeah, it was, it was nasty. And there's no question I'm 53. Now, if I had not quit completely, I think I would either have liver cirrhosis or another medical problem. So for me, I got, I was terrified of my health. That's honestly what did it for me. I was terrified. I had cirrhosis already. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had liver checkup since then or anything? Mm-hmm. Yep. I actually, and part of the research I did in getting sober um, and coming out of alcohol withdrawal, I um, wanted my liver checked. So I went, I did all the blood work and that still didn't convince me. I'm like, you know, cause I knew you could have normal blood work and still have liver issues. So I went down to Cedar sinai and I paid for it and had the head of Cedar sinai hepatology department do a fiber scan on me. And that's where they, it's like an ultrasound that bounces waves into the liver and gives back numbers. And they, they, they take about 12 different calculations and they can tell if you have cirrhosis based on the numbers that come back. And so I got three fiber scans after I got sober because I still wasn't convinced I didn't have cirrhosis. Yeah. <laughs> the first one showed fatty liver. And then yeah. a year after that, that was gone. And the year after that, it was still gone. And I, and I never showed any signs of scarring, but you know, fatty liver is the beginning stages of liver disease that evolves into typically fibrosis. And then that's into cirrhosis. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. 
So what did the doctor say? I mean, did they say that was like miraculous or just, is that typical when you quit that it will generate or I guess heal? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if if people stay quit. Yeah. And I, the very first time he did it, I still wasn't convinced. It's interesting because even he's like, he even had to convince me that I teach people how to do the fiber scan because I thought he had done it wrong. (laughs) I thought he's like, wait, Wendy. So then he even went as far as to say, he goes, I could do an intravenous dye and run dye through your veins. And that would highlight the veins in the liver because you don't need that. But I could do that. He goes, but I'm afraid to do that with you. I'm afraid if you get confirmation beyond what we're doing today, you will start drinking again. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. And so I actually just went with the fiber scan. And then the next year I went back and I got to be friends with him actually. And yeah. So that's how I learned how to wean myself off alcohol and decide whether or not my liver had been damaged. But, you know, even I will say this, my digestive system, it took probably four years for that to be normal oh, after right. all the busy. Yeah. Like it, it was just weird for a long time. Like it just constipation or diarrhea or, and there's no question. I think when you drink the level of alcohol through benders that I did, I think you damage your intestinal lining. I think you damage any type of cilia, you know, the hair like yeah. follicles through there. I think, I think the, the microvilli and the small intestine gets damaged. So you don't have nutrient absorption. I think a lot of things happen and and my blood sugar would even run high come after benders. I would wake up on a fasting blood sugar, of like one thirteen, and I was, I was skinny. So that's pre-diabetic. Okay. There's so much damage that alcohol does. It does. Yeah. yeah. And that's pancreatic issues at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people develop chronic pancreatitis from drinking. Oh, Luckily I, I didn't get that. And that's a whole other conversation, you know, for the rest of your life, you're, you're busy not eating too much fat. So you don't trigger an episode and your pancreas is permanently damaged when you have chronic pancreatitis. And that happens to people who drink a lot. I was just fortunate. I didn't get that part. I got a fatty liver and I would reverse that with just not drinking. That's impressive. Yeah. What books did you read? You know, I just did a lot of everything online. I just researched everything online. Um, I did listen on audible, the sober diaries that, that you, I think you had recommended that that was about three years after I got sober though. Um, I would just, I had a blog. Uh, it was a liver blog that I found from the, it was actually everybody who was on, it was from the UK, but it was really helpful because there were so many people in there with similar stories or better stories or yeah. And people who were living with cirrhosis on transplant lists. I mean, it, it was an eye-opening yeah. blog. I was active on that for a couple of years. And I think I got a lot of my information from that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It did not exist. Mm-hmm. It's, it, is, it was good to read about it. Uh, and just to hear everybody else's stories. I mean, there are people who would have cirrhosis and not know and have esophageal bleeding and that's where the liver is so cirrhotically scarred that it clenches down on the portal vein, which causes the blood to go back up into the stomach. And so people would vomit out the blood and people die that way. They actually bleed out okay. through their stomach. And that's, that's when you're advanced cirrhosis. And, but there are people who are drinking and don't even realize they're that bad. Yeah, that's, that's the stuff that scared me. Yeah. I mean, it terrified me. 
Yeah, I think it's getting worse, especially for women, maybe. Mm. Yeah, well, women don't metabolize alcohol. We don't have the genetic composition to break it down as, as well as men do. So we can't tolerate as high levels of it. You, you know, and that's another stuff. thing. I can remember being, right, I can't remember being proud that I could drink as much as guys could and yeah. still, yeah. you know, be standing up right. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. I don't think the generations today drink like we do, though. I don't think the Zers and the millennials are as big a drinkers as, as I, our generation or my generation was. No, I agree with you. I do. I've heard of more like people who are non-drinkers that are younger, like early 20s. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. I wish I would have done that. But yeah, they're just it's different. Right. And yeah. and maybe because there's there's so much more connected without being in, together. Like you can stay connected socially better. Maybe that's part of it, but they definitely are different than the, that's all we did was drink. That was our thing. Yeah. That's you weren't having a good time drink? without, what's that? Did your parents drink? No, I'm the only one in my family who became a drunk. Nobody drinks in my family. My brother will have some beer yeah. and my dad, I, my dad will have a scotch every now and again, but nothing like my mom doesn't drink at all. My sister doesn't drink at all. Huh. I was the only drinker to the point that they, they, they definitely thought something was wrong with me. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. Like, because I would show up, there was not a holiday where I wouldn't come without for 10 years without some type of booze. I couldn't believe people would do it sober. Yeah. I mean, even though I went get drunk, I'd still have to have something like wine or something to get through the event. Yeah. And now I can honestly say not, I don't have any friends that drink. Really? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big difference. And it, it's, it, I just don't even gravitate to those yeah. people. Anymore. Well, My friends that I've met are, you know, I have a realtor friend here in North Carolina, her and her husband and I will go out to dinner and nobody drinks. And it's, I do, it doesn't even occur to me anymore. But if I were around the same people, it probably would occur to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, yeah, I totally agree with you. When you're around people who don't, it's yeah yeah you don't even think about it i mean we truly just can get through a dinner and have great conversations and it doesn't even come up yeah i know it doesn't even i don't even think about it whereas before i can't imagine being around people who didn't drink yep and i i can remember going out of town to work events and we i would find the drinkers i'd be at an event for a week in chicago or scottsdale and I would find the drinkers in the class and that's what we would do after class at night. We'd go to dinner and we'd all drink. Yeah. And then there would be the people in the class that didn't drink and they were always the ones that looked so much better than us the next day. <laughs> right. <laughs> Paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they just look better. I can remember getting in the elevator and I still smell my booze from the night before. Yeah. At the hotel. Yeah. So. But that's really my my journey in a nutshell. Pretty so much. now that you don't, what's graphic. the pros? What do you like about it, or what what are you surprised at? What the pros? I, I like the that all the anxiety is gone about yeah. what drinking brought to the table. Whether I spent too much money, you know, going to a dinner and being drunk and thinking a thousand dollar dinner and me picking up a tab was a good idea. That's gone. Yeah. And the next day, not you know having to figure out how that was going to work in my budget. Um, just no fear, even driving to a store, it, all that's gone, all the anxiety, the drama, the people that you're around who, you know, or for whatever reason, when you hang around people who are inebriated all the time, they have 
extra drama, whether that's lying or manipulating or backstabbing, that's gone. And it's, and it's life is easier. It's just easier. Everything's more consistent. Workouts more consistent. Diets more consistent. My finances are more consistent. What I've accomplished in five years is is something I would never been able to pull off. Drunk, no way. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Like I, <laughs> I can totally look at my life in periods where I didn't drink, and I'm mm-hmm. so much more successful, happier on top of it. And you're right about yeah. the drama. Anytime you're around, like when drama happens, I feel like there's almost always alcohol involved. You know. Yep. And you'll notice, at least I do now that they're always the victim. I was always the victim. It was always somebody else's fault too. It was never my fault, no matter what, uh, you know, it was, there's no accountability when you're drinking. It's, it's the drama is always somebody else's problem. Yeah. You know, I, it was, it wasn't created because I was there making bad decisions. It, it's somebody else's deal. It's always passing the buck to someone else. It felt like. Yeah. So I think, I think your life just becomes more consistent. I don't think you're better at anything. I just think the consistency is there and that goes a long way when you show up every day and you do the same thing and you chip away at a goal, the goal gets closer because you're constantly working on it Yeah, and things become achievable. Right. You know, versus for me, I, when I binge drink, I go MIA for 10 straight days. You know, you don't show up in your life for 10 days. There's a lot of things that fall apart. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Relationships, bills don't get paid. Work doesn't get done. Laundry doesn't get done. Nothing gets done. Yeah. Huh. So, but it's, I still like hearing stories. I think AA is very beneficial for that. I like to go and hear success stories and people who are overcoming it. It's motivating to hear other people's stories too. Where do you hear those at? Well, I, when I go to AA meetings, I hear them there, but I don't go to AA very often. I don't, I don't use it the way a lot of people do. And I think people should, cause I think it works. Yeah. Um, I worked with an addiction counselor instead. I found somebody that I would go and talk to and he was a recovering alcoholic also. So I worked with him. He's a psychologist here in Wilmington. And when I wasn't in town, I'd work with him on zoom calls. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. I like that one-on-one. I liked the fact that, you know, he and I really could get down to the, the bolts of what it would take to keep me sober. And, and I think that's dealing with when you have anxiety, you don't turn to, to booze, you know, to cope through it, you get through it and you just know that it's going to be tough and that's okay. Things aren't always supposed to be easy. Yeah, for sure. I think as a society, we're really cozy, not having to deal with emotions, you know, whether it be antidepressants or anti-anxiety or alcohol. And I think we're supposed to have those emotions and we're supposed to learn how to work through them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, feelings are not bad. It's what you, you know, how you deal with them that can be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's part of the process too, right? Is learning how to get through that. Whether if you're dating, you go through a breakup sober. I mean, I call it white knuckling your life. Yeah. When you're, you know, you have nothing you can turn to. You can't even take a, a glass of wine to calm the brain down. You really have yeah. to sit there and, and deal yeah. with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. But it makes you stronger and more confident. So there's another positive. Yeah. I was just going to say that. I mean, I think by drinking, you just prolong the pain and probably make it worse, you know, yeah. whereas yeah. you feel it and then you just 
work through it. Yeah. And they, and they do. My counselor told me that he said, you know, whatever age you really started showing your addiction, which mine, I think mine's around 33 where I really was getting addicted, where I wasn't dealing with life. That's the age you stop growing. So if I got sober at 48, I have 15 years of never doing any self-growth. So my emotional capacity was back at 33 because you're right. You don't deal with it. You're just prolonging all that stuff. And then I call these Vietnam flashbacks, all that stuff from 33 to 48, it can be a year down the road. And suddenly I'll start remembering something in that timeline and I'll be bothered by it because I never dealt with it. I can get angry at somebody again or upset and feel like they owe me something because of a wrong that occurred to me in my mind. And that's because you never deal with those things. Yeah, that's a good point. And they're like Vietnam flashbacks. They just hit you. (laughs) That's what I like to refer. But they get, they get like, I I hardly now have any of that, but I did. The first two years were hard. Yeah. You know, you're relearning how to do everything and socialize. And, but then you get through all that and and it is worth it. I mean, I have, I have no fear of anything in terms of anxiousness. I, and I know that, that life is just better because I don't have to worry about all that stuff. I can focus on the things that matter. Yeah. You know, like retirement. I right. never thought about retirement in my life <laughs> until sober. And then I was panicked about that because I was so far oh, behind. Sure. Sure. You know? sure. Yep. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is, is, getting to the weekend or getting to the next bender. And then when you're drinking, nothing matters. Yeah. Or everything seems minimal. Yeah. That is so interesting about the liver. I don't think I knew that about you, but that's wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was my, my big scare. I think everybody has something, whether it's a DUI, but mine was my health. I was terrified that I had cirrhosis and I was going to be on a transplant list and um, especially after I knew I had fatty liver. And I guess remember, even though I knew I had fatty liver in that four years, I would still drink. I'd still have my benders. Huh. So, so at the very end, I was convinced I had toasted it. And luckily I didn't. Yeah. Luckily that good. came out. And that's what took me down the road of just learning everything about how to, to withdraw from alcohol. When we talked about how I learned about that, that three days of weaning myself off so my blood pressure wouldn't go through the roof and I wouldn't have an episode of anything major. I learned that by reading. That's how they used to do it back in the day before they medically did it. They would wean the alcohol down because I don't think people realize physically what happens when you drink alcohol, your central nervous system speeds up because alcohol is such a depressant. It lowers your heart rate. It lowers your blood pressure it lowers your respiration. So if your central nervous system didn't kick into high gear, we would die from drinking. So when you take the alcohol away, now the central nervous system is operating super high, but the alcohol is not there to pull it back down. So that's why people's heart rate goes up. Their blood pressure goes up. You're, you're operating in this hyperdrive system without any alcohol. And so it takes two to three days for your central nervous system to reset itself. And that's where people have heart attacks and seizures and, um, and things like that. So that's where the weaning comes in, where you give the person just enough alcohol to keep that from going into a major medical event. Yeah. But that's, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. I don't think it's safe. I don't think it's healthy. I think I, I'm 
probably a little bit of an anomaly that I could right. do with that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but it's damaging for sure. Yeah. And again, the pros are just life is just better. I'm physically yeah. in better shape than I've ever been, even in my 30s. And I'm not just saying that. Like I have people that come up to me in the gym and at 53 and want to know what I'm doing. Oh, cool. I have a six pack at, and that's nothing more than everything is just consistent. Yeah. I'm just every day and do the same thing. And there's yeah. rewards in that. Yeah. Do you ever say, well, I don't drink. I do, but nobody yeah. seems to care about that. Oh, really? I, yeah. I don't look, I, I think they just want to know. Yeah. Who's your um, trainer? That, what are you eating? <laughs> uh-huh. That's pretty much how it goes. And the funny part is that is I don't track any of that stuff. You don't? I don't track, I don't. I don't track macros or protein or carbs. I just try to eat healthy. I don't eat fast food, uh, sugars. And like, when I say sugars, like cake and candy bars, unless it's an event, you know, like a birthday party or something. Yeah. And I don't eat fried food. So I just try to keep it clean. But that's all I do. Good for you. And, yeah, life is yeah. awesome. And, and just because it's consistency, isn't it? If you do the same thing 80% of the time, you're gonna move forward. Yeah. You don't have to be perfect, but when you're drinking, what I think I was consistent, maybe 50% of the time you change that to 80. Yeah. There's there's definitely going to be changes. Yeah. There's some saying about improving just 1% every day. What that does Mm -hmm. to you is crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I think if there's one thing I could tell anybody about the change is being consistent in everything, even in relationships, like with my mom and my sister, you know, when you're not an emotional basket case and you're not up and down or, and doing what you say you're going to do. I think that changes a lot of things too with yeah. people. Yeah. But well, that's it. Yay. So no regrets, huh? No. Good. <laughs> no, I would be terrified at this point to start over. I'm yeah. so far down the road in sobriety. I can't imagine waking up and knowing I had to do day one all over again. Yeah. So the more time you get behind you, the more valuable it becomes because it is an investment yeah. and to give that up and start over to me would be the worst. not the drinking to me, starting sobriety over would be horrible. Yeah. I, I don't want to start over from day one. I want to be where I'm at today and stay here. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you want to experience drinking less or going alcohol free, whether it is a day, week, month, or forever, and would like some resources, a coach, mentor, or some accountability, please go to afsuperpowers.com or on Instagram.